Good morning. Pray with me as we get started. Dear Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your word to us through your faithful prophet Jeremiah, and that you would give us hearts that respond rightly. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our passage this morning is about God's command to the Judahites through Jeremiah not to go to Egypt. And it's about their steadfast rejection of that instruction from God. My original title for this message was, What's Your Egypt? But after wrestling with this piercing passage for several days, uh, my title changed. <laughs> I realized uh, that the resolve of the Judahites to go to Egypt was actually just a symptom of a much more catastrophic malady. And that malady was their deafness to the Word of God through God's prophet. My new title is Whom You Hear Determines What You Fear. Whom You Hear Determines What You Fear. And there's a corollary to that title. Whom You Fear Determines What You Do. As we pick up the narrative in chapter 42, here's where things stand. It's still the year 587 BC. God has been using King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the mighty nation of Babylon, as God's own agent of his painful corrective judgment against his own people, Judah. Judah's kings and Judah's people have done their best to limit the impact of that judgment against them by resisting the authority of Nebuchadnezzar and by defending the fortified city of Jerusalem. But after a terrible 18-month siege of that great city by the army of Nebuchadnezzar, both the city and the temple of Yahweh within the city have fallen. Judah's last king in the line of, of David, King Zedekiah, has been captured, and he has been taken away into captivity uh, to Babylon, along with all but a very small remnant of Judahites, those whom Nebuchadnezzar really didn't consider worth taking captive. Nebuchadnezzar, weary of the very predictable rebellion of every Judahite king that he had appointed over Judah, has appointed now a humble and godly scribe named Gedaliah to govern this small community of Judahites that still remained in the land after the fall of the city. Gedaliah told the Judahites on God's behalf that if they would stay in the land and submit, submit to Nebuchadnezzar just as God told them to, God would protect them and he would provide for them. And things would go very well for them in the land. And for a brief time, that's exactly what happened. But Gedaliah's rule over Judah was very short. One of Gedaliah's fellow Judahites, a military commander named Ishmael, who was from the bloodline of King David, just like all of the kings of Judah that had come before him, assassinated Gedaliah. And then he attempted to deliver the Judahites into the hands of the pagan king of Ammon, a longtime enemy of Israel, 
in Judah. But another Judahite military commander named Johanan overtook Ishmael and he rescued the people from Ishmael's hand. And that brings us to the last three verses of chapter 41, which sets the stage for what we're about to see in chapters 42 through 44. Those three verses say that Johanan, the son of Kareah, and all of the commanders of the forces that were with him took all of the remnant of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael after Ishmael had struck down Gadaliah, and they went and they stayed in a little village which was beside Bethlehem in order to proceed to Egypt, in order to proceed into Egypt. And then verse 18 says that they were doing that because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them, since Ishmael had struck down Gedaliah, whom the king of Babylon had appointed over the land. The, the Judahites were scared to death that Nebuchadnezzar was going to come and destroy them or take them into captivity because Ishmael had killed the man that Nebuchadnezzar had appointed to rule over them. The small remnant of Judahites had already resolutely set their sights on going to Egypt as the place where they believed they would find protection from Nebuchadnezzar and provision for their physical needs now that the city, the great city, had been destroyed. As chapter 42 opens, it appears as if Johanan and the Judahites actually want to know what God has to say about their plan. I'm reading starting at verse 1, chapter 42. Then all the commanders of the forces, Johanan the son of Kareah, Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people, both small and great, approached and they said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition come before you and pray for us to Yahweh your God, for all this remnant, because we are left but few out of many, as your own eyes now see us. Pray that Yahweh your God may tell us the way in which we should walk and the thing that we should do. And then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I am going to pray to Yahweh your God in accordance with your words, and I will tell you the whole message, the whole word which Yahweh will answer you. I will not keep back a word from you. Jeremiah makes it crystal clear that what they were about to hear from him after God spoke would be exactly what God said. Nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> and that's what faithful prophets always did. At that, they said to Jeremiah, May Yahweh be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with the whole word which Yahweh your God will send to us. Whether it is pleasant or unpleasant, we will listen to the voice of Yahweh our God to whom we are sending you so that it may go well with us when we listen to the voice of Yahweh our God. By all outward appearances, this initial response of the Judahites is as good as it could possibly be. They said, whatever God tells us, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, we will do it. 
But as we'll see in a moment, <laughs> when God gives Jeremiah the word to speak to them on his behalf after 10 days, that word exposes the real heart of the Judahites. Now, this exchange between Jeremiah and Judah reminds me very much of the last chapter of the book of Joshua. From the standpoint of, of earthly blessings, Israel's situation at the end of Joshua's time of leadership was better than it had ever been. After bringing the Israelites into the land that God had promised to their forefathers, God routed every enemy that they encountered in that land, and he blessed them with great abundance. The good and fruitful land was now in their possession. The last verse of Joshua chapter 21 says, Not one of the good promises which Yahweh had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. In his closing address to Israel in chapter 24, Joshua, speaking for God, calls them to choose whom they will serve. The gods of Egypt, the gods of the nations that God had defeated, that Yahweh had defeated before their eyes, or Yahweh, the one true God who had done all these great and mighty things for them. The people answer Joshua's call with these words, Far be it from us that we should forsake Yahweh to serve other gods. For Yahweh, our God, is he who brought us and our, fa our fathers up, up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. Yahweh drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve Yahweh, for he is our God. And what was Joshua's response to that seemingly excellent promise that the people made to God? <laughs> Joshua said to them in verse 19, You will not be able to serve Yahweh. He said, what you're promising, you will not do. For he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you, if you forsake Yahweh and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm, and he will consume you after he has done good to you. And the people, people very, very concerned at that point said to Joshua, no, but we will serve Yahweh. And Joshua said to them, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves Yahweh to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Joshua knew what they would actually do. He knew that they would not keep their resolute promise to God. And they didn't. <laughs> now in Jeremiah chapter 42, God's response to the Judahites' magnificent promise of their readiness to do whatever he told them to do quickly dispenses with any possibility that they actually meant what their words said. In a single address that fills most of chapter 42, Jeremiah's response to the people's request for this word from God moves through three phases. 
In phase one, Jeremiah says to them, in effect, if you will listen to the voice of God, as you just said you would, and stay in the land, here's what God will do for you. In phase two of the same address, Jeremiah says to them, if you will not listen to the voice of God and stay in the land, here's what God will do to you. And in phase three, Jeremiah says, because you have not listened to the voice of God to stay in the land, here's what God is going to do to you. Jeremiah moves through all three of those phases of God's answer to them before the Judahites have actually given, them, given him their response to this word from God. See, Jeremiah, because God has told him, knows what Judah is going to do. They will not keep their resolute promise to God. The verb that shows up over and over in chapters 42 and 43 is the verb, the Hebrew verb shama. It means to hear, or better, to listen to. It's actually a very active verb in this usage, not passive. And this is very important. Every time your translation shows the verb obey in chapters 42 and 43, and also actually chapter 44 of Jeremiah, it's exactly the same verb, shama, to hear or to listen to. In the whole Old Testament, that word is translated hear or listen about a thousand times. And it's translated obey about 80 times in the New American Standard. That should give you some idea how the translators understood the, the essential meaning of the word. The connection between hearing and obeying is presented beautifully in Jeremiah 7, verse 23. But this is what I, God says, but this is what I commanded them, saying, Hear, listen to my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. See, God says, if you'll listen to my word, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and you'll obey my command, and you'll be blessed and not cursed. As we saw back in Jeremiah 31 through 33, God is actually the one who will bring about Israel's hearing and Israel's obedience. It won't be something they just muster up within themselves. Another thing that's uh, very consistent in Jeremiah 42 to 43 is that one of two nouns is always connected to this verb to hear as, as the direct object of the verb. In other words, one of these two nouns always shows up as, as the thing that the Jews are to hear, to listen to. And the two nouns are word and voice. Word and voice. That's what they were supposed to listen to. The word, the voice of Yahweh. Now, the, the fact that, the, that the, the word voice comes up so many times is significant because it's a, it's a word that's heard. It's a word that is revealed through the propositional decrees that God gave through his prophets. 
It's not some, some mystery that they have to search for. It is God speaking to them. That's how everything in Scripture was given. Why uh, does God tell the Judahites in advance that they will not listen to what he is now telling them? Well, the Judahites already had one foot in Egypt when they came to Jeremiah asking for a word from Yahweh. In effect, at the end of chapter 41 <laughs> and beginning of chapter 42, they said, Jeremiah, we're going to Egypt. Now, tell us what God has to say. We're going to Egypt to flee from Nebuchadnezzar because we're scared of Nebuchadnezzar. So now tell us what God says. See, that, that's, not, that's not how listening to God works. Whenever we make the choice concerning what we're going to do before we listen to the word of God, we're not actually going to listen. And we're going to end up doing the wrong thing every time. Because, beloved, until you and I come to the Word of God and actually listen to what God says and hear the voice of God, we have no idea what's true. We have no idea what's good. We have no idea what's good for us. And we're not going to just guess. Because as God said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick, who can understand it? If you're depending on, on your heart and your own counsel to yourself to tell you what's true, you're toast. You're not going to get there. If we don't listen to God's word, we will not arrive at truth. And if we're not reckoning with what God tells us is true, we'll never arrive at a godly course of action. So there is a critical connection between hearing and obeying. But there's another critical connection that occurs right in between those, those two things, hearing and obeying. And that's the connection between hearing and fearing. Jeremiah straight up tells us at the end of chapter 41 that the reason the Judahites were already set on going to Egypt, regardless of what their physical ears heard God say, was that reason was misplaced fear. Fear of the Babylonians and fear of the Egyptians. Now you might say, well, they were heading to Egypt to get away from the Babylonians, so it wasn't Egypt they were afraid of, it was Babylon. Actually, it was both. Back in chapter 10, God said that what drives men to fear the idols that they make with their own hands is their belief that those idols are able to do either harm or good. Either harm or good. That's fundamental to understanding what the Bible means by fear. We fear whoever or whatever we believe will do us the greatest harm or the greatest good. The Judahites considered Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to be fearsome. And they were convinced that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do them harm. And they considered Egypt to be fearsome. But they were convinced that Egypt was willing to do 
them good. So they went to Egypt to flee from Babylon. But both the running from and the running to were determined by their fear. That's what we do, isn't it? We run from whatever we believe will do us great harm, and we run to whatever we believe will do us great good. Both of those things are motivated by fear, as God defines fear. Here's where hearing and fearing come together in a crucial connection. What God told Israel and Judah, what his word, his voice had proclaimed to them over and over, waking up his prophets early in the morning to proclaim it to them generation after generation, was that he, Yahweh, was the only one worthy of any of their fear at all, because he alone controls all harm and all good, all curse and all blessing. Nobody and nothing else determines either, only him. And he had given them proof after proof that that proposition was absolutely true, proof to their forefathers and proof to their own eyes, proof that he alone could defeat their most formidable enemies, the first of which nationally was Egypt. Proof that he alone could bring them through the sea on dry ground and then drown the formidable enemy Egypt in the same sea. Proof that he alone could provide for his people's needs for 40 years in the wilderness, daily giving them bread from heaven and water from barren rocks, preventing the sandals on their feet that they were wearing when they left Egypt from wearing out for 40 years, protecting them from enemies all around them. And it wasn't just the deliverances that came from God's hand that proved his fearsomeness. He had also given them proof after proof that he alone controlled the calamities that befell them whenever they turned away from him, which was exceedingly often. See, God always told them what he was going to do before he did it. The prophets of God forewarned Israel and Judah over and over again of judgments from God's hand by the hands of Egyptians and Philistines and Ammonites and Midianites and Assyrians and Babylonians and angels all of whom acted at God's own whim in every case, exactly as God said that they would. The most recent proof of the fearsomeness of Yahweh was the horrific siege and destruction of the unassailable city of Jerusalem at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, exactly as the prophets of God had said would happen ever since the days of Moses, <laughs> long before Israel even knew what Jerusalem was. Yet the Judahites, the very people to whom God had so graciously given all of those proofs and countless others, now feared Babylon, and they feared Egypt. The one they did not fear was the only one worthy of any fear.
Yahweh. One thing we should not miss here, beloved, is that many people, including many Christians, are convinced that their own resolve to keep their earnest promises to God will determine their behavior. But that's not how it works. It's what you fear, not what you promise, that determines your behavior. Whom you hear determines what you fear, and what you fear determines what you do. Let me say that again. Whom you hear actively determines what you fear, and what you fear determines what you do. Now, where does faith come into all this? Well, because all good and all harm are actually in the hands of the same God, faith and fear are, in reality, two sides of the same coin. God takes every heart that comes to rightly fear Him, and He inevitably, irresistibly causes that heart to trust Him. They're really not different things. Faith is just fear perfected, and both are His work entirely. If there is one true God who controls all blessing and all curse, and if that one true God has declared that only bad things will ever come to you from His hand, then you'd have plenty of cause to fear Him, but no cause to trust Him with your well-being or to love Him. But the truth about God, that He is so clearly and emphatically and repeatedly made known, is that the one true God who controls all blessing and all curse has promised blessed and eternal relationship with Himself to all who trust in His promises that are fulfilled in His Son, no matter which testament those promises are given in. Because God has proven, He has demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have every cause to trust Him, to love Him. That's fear that attracts. But what if you refuse to hear His Word that tells you all of those things about Him? If you refuse to hear His Word, will you fear Him? Will you trust Him? Will you love Him? Will you willingly obey Him? No. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of Christ. The Word concerning Christ. The continual testimony of the Old Testament tells us that fear also comes from hearing. Both fear and faith come when we listen to the Word, the voice of God, concerning Himself. Everything that He's made known about His holy character, His fearsome judgments, and His gracious deliverances. It's by that hearing that the Holy Spirit convinces the hearts of men and women and children that Yahweh alone is worthy of their fear. And it is by hearing the word of Christ, the word of the prophets in both testaments of the Bible concerning God's promise of redemption that is fulfilled in His Son, the long-promised Christ, 
It's by the hearing of that word that the Holy Spirit moves a heart from fear to faith. Listen to this marvelous statement from the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verses 14 and 19. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then listen to verse 16. This is extraordinary. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. As I mentioned to you earlier, my original title for this message was, What's Your Egypt? I was planting to rant yet again about the misplaced fears that make us bite and devour one another at election time and that have made this present pandemic such a destroyer of peace in the hearts of Christians and of relationships between Christians. But friends, that rant would miss the powerful and transforming point of this passage. Because the passage is far less about what Judah shouldn't have feared than it is about whom they should have feared. The real question that God sets before us through Jeremiah in this passage is, to whom are you listening? There's a very illuminating wordplay in verses 13 to 17 of chapter 42. Listen to this. I'm just going to read uh, verses 13 to 15. But if you're going to say, we will not stay in this land so as not to listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, saying, no, but we will instead go to the land of Egypt where we will not see war or hear the voice of a trumpet or hunger for bread, and we will then in that case listen to the word of the Lord, O remnant, o remnant of Judah. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah says, then in that case, listen to the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Three times in that passage, you see the, the words, listen to the voice or listen to the word. First, it's, they, if they say, we will not listen to the voice of Yahweh, our God, we'll go to the land of Egypt where we will not hear or listen to the voice of a trumpet. Now, God's saying to Judah, if you hear the voice of the trumpet of Nebuchadnezzar's army and fear him, but you will not hear my voice telling you that that other voice is unworthy of your fear, 
then you will hear my voice, my word, telling you what I will do to you to judge you yet again, so that you will come to know whose voice is worthy of hearing and who is worthy of fearing. If you go way back to what God first told the Israelites about the trumpets of war, the point of verses 13 to 17 get really powerful, gets really powerful. In Numbers 10, verse 9, Numbers 10, verse 9, God says to Israel, When you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before Yahweh your God and be saved from your enemies. See, the trumpet of war for Israel was not to announce the fearsomeness of Israel to their enemies. It wasn't even to summon the troops of Israel to do battle. It was Israel was to blow the trumpets to summon the God of Israel to save them from their enemies. The people who fears God doesn't worry about the enemy's trumpets of war. Instead, the people who fears God sounds the trumpet that summons our fearsome God and trusts in his salvation. At the end of chapter 42, Jeremiah said to the Judahites, Yahweh has spoken to you, O remnant of Judah, saying, Do not go into Egypt. You should clearly understand that today I have testified against you, for you have only deceived yourselves. For it is you who sent me to Yahweh your God, saying, Pray for us to Yahweh our God, and whatever Yahweh our God says, tell us so, and we will do it. So I have told you today. But you have not listened to Yahweh your God, even in whatever he has sent me to tell you. Therefore, you should now clearly understand that you will die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you wish to go to reside. But they did not listen, so they did not fear, and they did not obey. Chapter 43 opens with Judah's answer to Jeremiah's word from God. Johanan and all those who were with him did a complete 180. They utterly violated the grandiose promise that they had made to Jeremiah and to God at the beginning of chapter 42. They accused Jeremiah of making up this entire word from God that he had just presented to them. They accused Jeremiah of succumbing to a plot by his scribe Baruch, quote, to give us over into the hands of the Chaldeans so that they may put us to death or exile us to Babylon. <laughs> and they used that fabricated fear of some conspiracy by Jeremiah and Baruch as their excuse for not listening to the word of God. But of course, Jeremiah had already passed with flying colors, both of the crystal clear tests of a true prophet that God had decreed through Moses nearly a thousand years earlier. That first test is 
that a true prophet calls God's people to turn their hearts to the one true God and not to follow false gods. That's Deuteronomy 13, and that's clearly what Jeremiah consistently did. The second test in Deuteronomy 18 is that a true prophet has to bat a thousand with every single prophecy that he makes about what God is going to do. And Jeremiah batted a thousand. But Johanan and the others in Judah refused to listen to God's word through his proven prophet. They would not hear the voice of God, so they did not fear God and they did not obey God. Instead, Johanan took the whole remnant of the Judahites who had at one point been willing to remain in the land just as God commanded them through Gedaliah. And he brought them all to Egypt, including Jeremiah and Baruch, to a place called Tophanhez. Verse 8 says, Then the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah in Tophanhez, saying, Take some large stones in your hands and hide them in the mortar in the brick terrace which is at the entrance of Pharaoh's palace in Tapanes. Do that in the sight of some of the Jews and say to them, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm going to send and get Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I'm going to set his throne right over these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his canopy over them. He will also come and strike the land of Egypt. Those who are meant for death will be given over to death, those for captivity to captivity, and those for the sword to the sword. And I, Yahweh, will set fire to the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he, Nebuchadnezzar, will burn them and take them captive. So he will wrap himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd wraps himself with his garment, and he will depart from there safely. He will also shatter the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he will burn with fire. The Judahites refuse to listen to the word of God and instead believe their own word. They left Judah, where God told them to stay, in order to go to Egypt, where God clearly told them not to go, so they could flee from Nebuchadnezzar, whom God clearly told them not to fear. So, get this. God told them he was going to send Nebuchadnezzar to Egypt. He sent the one they fled from to the place they fled to to do to them exactly what all that fleeing was supposed to prevent. And people say God doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> okay, here's the thing, beloved. You and I can spend our lives reluctantly being taught by God to listen to his voice, like Israel and Judah, or we can spend our lives actually listening to God. For most of us, it's some of each of those at different times in our lives. The outcome in terms of God's agenda is the same. But our experience of God and of the blessings of God is radically different depending on whether we listen to His voice or don't listen to His voice.
when we do listen to the Word of God, we get to stay in the place of blessed relationship and fellowship with Him and with one another under His gracious protection and provision as He defines those things. It's the only definition that matters. When we don't listen to His Word, we stray into very strange and dark places, distant from fellowship with our God and with one another. We, we distrust one another. We suspect one another. We fear one another. If we belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ, we have his guarantee that he will continually work in our lives to break us of our hardness of hearing. But it's painful when he does that, beloved. It's always good, but it's painful. There are some who cannot hear God because they don't know him. In John chapter 8, verse 43, Jesus said to the Jews who rejected him, Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. A few verses later, he said to them, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. What's the solution to that eternally fatal condition? Fall on your knees before the God of glory and ask him to open your eyes and your ears so that you may see and may hear the one who gives hearing to the deaf, sight to the blind, and life to the dead. In John 6, 37, Jesus said, All that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Loving Father, open our ears to hear the word that you have spoken to us. We pray that you would do so daily in our lives, that we might rightly fear you, trust you, love you, and obey you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.